But I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the last chapter of most of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, oftentimes just rattle off names and travel plans. Uh, not always the easiest thing to preach. I'm still going to read it, but um, we're going to do this slightly differently. And I'm going to start, it's going to give us a quick recap on what kind of what we've gone through with 1 Corinthians. And I'm even looking around the room, some of you guys weren't even a part of the church when we started it. So you jumped in halfway through. Congratulations. You're still here. Way to go. I'm happy. Um, and then we're going to do a couple other things at the end that will uh, be part of us um, obeying what we see here in, in the passage. Um, I want to go back, if we can, I think we have a slide for 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. So this is where we started, way back on January 1st. It was the first Sunday of the year, and we, because um, it was January 1st, you can't have one before that. Uh, and what we do on the first Sunday of the year is I preach a sermon where I say, here, here, this passage is, is setting my prayer agenda for the year, for this church. And since we were doing 1 Corinthians, it made sense. First nine verses of, of 1 Corinthians set the prayer agenda I've been praying for this church and will continue to. So I'm going to read it. I'm just going to recap a little bit of, of, uh, of this letter for us. So it starts, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. That's a fun name. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, um, and from this, I picked out three prayer points for our church. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to recap those prayer points, not just to remind you, but to uh, highlight different ways that we saw these come up in the last six months. Okay, so if you want to, this is a good time, you can take these notes just write down the three prayer things. And my encouragement to you is over this next week, because next week we're done with 1 Corinthians, read through 1 Corinthians again and look for these prayer points. Right? Refamiliarize yourself with the letter and, 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 and allow it to shape the way you pray for, for this church. So the first part, first prayer, Lord make us holy. The second one, I'll go back through these, but Lord make us holy is the first one. The second one, Lord make your grace evident. Make your grace evident. And the third, Lord, make us ready for Christ's return. Make us ready for Christ's return. So the first one, Lord, make us holy. It comes here in verse 2. To the church of God in, uh, in Corinth, to those sanctified. And you, if you remember way back in January 1st, I made this point. That word is made holy. Sanctified is a good Bible word, biblish, right? But it just, it's another way of saying, I have made you holy. And he says, uh, to those who Christ Jesus has made holy, called to be his holy people. That's interesting, right? Because he's made you holy, now he's calling you to be holy. And so I, I summarize this, the, 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 the Christian walk, right? Life with Jesus could be summarized in this phrase, become who you are. He has made you holy, now let's be holy. He's made you righteous, 
Now let's be righteous, right? He's already made you these things. Now let's live it out. So that's been part of my prayer for this church, that the people of Antioch Quincy would be holy. We would act, uh, we would be holy people because we have been made holy. Holy, meaning, and we, a lot of times we make it mostly a moral term, right? Not sinning, which is true. But it's more than that, right? Holy means to be set apart. It means to be different. God is holy, and he calls us to be holy because he's not like the world around us, right? And so we see this in a lot of ways throughout this letter. The morals that he's advocating for in this letter in 1 Corinthians are so vastly different Right? Issues of sexuality, issues of how you treat other people, issues of how you deal with uh, conflict that comes up in relationships. All of those things, what we see in 1 Corinthians is different than the world around us. Why? Because we are called to be holy, set apart, different. We don't do things the way the rest of the world does. The first four uh, chapters, the opening chapters, he's contrasting, right? Things of wisdom and power the way the world sees it, and then there's God's way. So while the world chases after power by stepping on people, right? Push, you st- go up the ladder by stepping on people and push them down. How, did, how does God show his power? The cross. You might remember I, I used the term uh, cruciform. How many of you guys remember that? I didn't come up with that. I stole it. Cruciform. Shaped like or shaped by the cross in how we live. Do people see us living out the example of Jesus, of laying down our lives for other people, pursuing true godly power by laying down what we have for others? That's part of being a holy people. The second prayer, Lord, make your grace evident. And it comes here, uh, you know, he says, I thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for you uh, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge. So grace is not just a concept in the Bible, something tangible, something we can point to and say, hey, this is evidence of what God is doing. That's why I say, make your grace evident, clear. Uh, The last few uh, couple months, six weeks, I can't remember how long exactly, we were talking about uh, things like the spiritual gifts. You might recall, and he actually mentions it here in verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. You might remember that that word gift the root word for it is grace. The gifts of the Holy Spirit and other gifts that God gives are evidences of grace. So when we pray, Lord, make your grace evident, we're saying shower your gifts on us, show us. Right? Make your grace tangible in our lives so that we can see the effect. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, I preached on this just two weeks ago, I believe it was. Talked about the grace of God again. The Apostle Paul talks about, I was a persecutor. I hated the church. Sought them out. Persecuted them. But the grace of God intervened. It changed. It was a t- I mean, you look at his life before and after Jesus. There's evidence of grace. So it's been a big prayer of mine for this church. Lord, make your grace evident. I encourage you, look back over the last six months and say, Lord, show me ways that your grace has been active in this church. Maybe for you personally, maybe you see it in other people. And dare I say, you could even encourage people with it. Bring it up. The third prayer, Lord, make us ready for Christ's return. This is one of those that I think oftentimes in churches can get kind of overlooked. 
Um, I think some, honestly, I think people sometimes feel awkward about talking about the return of Jesus. Like we know we're supposed to believe in it, so we don't deny it, but we just kind of let it sit there. And yet time and time again, throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, I see it, this longing, this hope. Someday Jesus is going to return. And so much of the New Testament is geared towards making us ready. Right? As he says here uh, in verse 8, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. So I have made it my mission for as long as I am in ministry, whether I'm getting vocational ministry or just doing ministry on my own. My desire, my goal is to help make disciples who are increasingly maturing and growing more and more healthy so that they are more like Jesus and prepared for the day that he he returns. So, so much of the letter that we've been going through the last six months, even when it's not talking about Jesus returning, is about making us a holy and blameless people ready for the day when he comes back. It's always there. It's always a motivation, even if it's not being talked about. And then you get to last week's sermon, 1 Corinthians 15, where he lays it out. This is the hope of the final victory, is that one day Jesus is going to return. Death will be completely defeated. Right? All that is broken and hurting and perishable about this world, everything that's corruptible, will finally come to an end. It will be turned, and the, the phrase that C.S. Lewis uses in the Chronicles of Narnia, death itself turns backwards. And it all happens when Christ returns. So that's been my prayer. Lord, would you make us ready? At the, I, I mean, my hope for however long people are involved in this church, when you're sitting here, whether you're here for two weeks, 10 years, 20 years, however long, that when, you, when you're done here, you are more like Jesus than when you started. That's my prayer. So that when he comes, whether it's in two weeks, 20 years, or 100 years, that at the very least, we can say, hey, the people who were a part of Antioch Quincy, they became increasingly holy, they were more and more blameless, and ready for Jesus' return. So those have been my three big prayers. Lord, make us holy. Lord, make your grace evident. And Lord, make us ready for Christ's return. So I want to encourage you, go back through. Go back through the letter and just read it with those three things in mind. And you start to see how it pops up, how it motivates so much of what's being talked about. In all of this, under the banner that we titled this series, One Lord, One Body. You may have noticed this in those verses I just read, how often it talks about Christ Jesus, our Lord. Right? One Lord, one body. That ultimately, we would be a people submitted to the Lordship of Christ, giving him our exclusive devotion. This is the thing about that word Lord. If Christ is Lord, that means there are no others. Right? So it's an exclusivity of devotion, of worship, of love towards Jesus. It's the, the, the patterning our life. I mentioned the word cruciform. Go back to chapters 8 through 10. That whole thing, is, you know, remember the whole meat sacrificed by idols and it's really confusing? But the whole thing was about following the example of Christ. Rob McGuirk, when he preached there, he used the phrase, you guys remember this? Liberty limited by love. And I botched that like 29 times when I was up here preaching. Liberty limited by love. It's because we have one Lord. 
who did not take advantage of his, his, his position or his liberty. He limited it all out of love. And that we would be one body. Right? So those prayers, Lord, make us holy. Lord, make your grace evident. Lord, make us ready for Christ's return. It's praying in mind that Antioch Quincy would be a unified, healthy family. Not really interested in a church that's just a collection of individuals. Right? That's where the body is, is so important. Your body is not just simply a collection of parts. It actually runs and fits and works together. Right? That's the vision of a healthy body. So honoring those who follow the example of Christ, allowing a place for a variety of gifts to, to work together to create a healthy church family. That's been so much of what we've been trying to do. Not just the last six months, but moving forward. So that's my <clears throat> probably overly quick recap <laughs> of the last six months. Rather than try to break down passage by passage, I just want to encourage you to go back through the letter and just look for this stuff again and allow it to shape your prayer life. Amen? <clears throat> one of the things that one of the things that uh, a lot of the letters do towards the end of the letter in the New Testament is they uh, honor people who serve. Right? Sorry, this is an awkward transition, isn't it? I just gave you a recap. Now it's like trying to, it's like trying to turn a hippopotamus. Right? We're, we just gotta, we just got to do it. Um, but Paul will do this oftentimes in the letters where he will honor people. So, for example, we're going to go to chapter 16. Sorry, now we're going to go back to our actual passage today. Um, <clears throat> chapter 16, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. He writes, you know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. That's the province that Corinth was in. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit <clears throat> excuse me, to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and the labors of it. Sorry, guys, my throat's killing me. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because, man, guys, you should be really impressed right now. Uh, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. <clears throat> so you see, he, he's, just, he's honoring those who serve the church. <clears throat> 